Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I am broadcasting today from the studios of our affiliate WRAM in Monmouth, Illinois. And I'll have the uh, pleasure of this afternoon of moderating an ag roundtable here in Monmouth. Looking forward to that. Glad you're with us. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Some clean water issues, a situation um, impacting farmers in Ohio around Lake Erie, and that's resulting in some lawsuits. We're going to get the very latest from Joe Corneli with the Ohio Farm Bureau. And then we're going to look at clean water issues on a bigger scale, public comment periods, proposed rules. We're going to talk with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And then uh, we're going to wrap up the program today talking with Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. NFU just wrapped up uh, their annual convention, and we'll find out about uh, some of the action taken by their delegates, including what did they decide, uh, what did they vote on when uh, it comes to curbing production, ag production. What are they saying there? And what about climate change issues? Some of the things, some of the headlines coming out of that National Farmers Union convention this week. We'll get the latest on that. Right now, joining us for the news, Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Phil, how are you? Yeah, great to be here. I guess guess we better tap the brakes a little bit on getting that uh, U.S.-China trade deal done uh, later this month. I mean, I guess it could still happen, but now it sounds like it might get delayed again. Well, we'll see. Uh, It's been off and on. A lot of... uh... It's got a lot of optimism actually coming out of the administration the last few weeks. Um, last few weeks, uh, negotiations have been uh, um, going on uh, pretty much behind the scenes. Last week, uh, for the last for the last couple of weeks, a lot of a lot of details to work through, uh, large and small, on uh, this enforcement system that it's the, the whole crux of the. Crux of the deal: How do you how do you enforce uh, requirements? What's agreed to? And then just a lot of uh, uh, we're told a lot of uh, details in the agriculture area that, uh, that negotiators been working to try to work uh, to nail down uh, the details of. Well, in the meantime, trying to make some purchases here or there, a big sorghum purchase, buying some more soybeans. But we're reminded again when we look at the year-to-year numbers just uh, how much this trade issue has cost as far as ag sales to China. They're still way down. Yeah, they are. And uh, we focus a lot on soybeans. Cotton has been hit uh, very hard, and there's a lot of concern in that sector about uh, uh, Brazil ramping up its cotton production and uh, permanently taking some of that uh, uh, Chinese market away. Um, just the fact that they would add to the supply, obviously, uh, permanently uh, creates some concern. And obviously, you mentioned sorghum hit very hard. They just uh, got a significant buy announced uh, yesterday. So, yeah, it's, and it's uh, other commodities as well. Soybeans, obviously, is, is big. Number one has been hammered uh, the most. Phil, I keep reminding people that whenever a deal gets announced, and hopefully it will before long, but you really won't be able to judge this deal uh, 
for several years because we don't know the long-range impact of what all this has meant and how long it may take to recover if we do from what we've lost. You know, and, and how how well uh, China abides by what it agrees to. Uh, that's uh, Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, who has uh, overs- uh, oversight authority on of trade, has made exactly the a point that uh, you just brought up, uh, that it's going to take some time, uh, years, uh, months and years, to really judge, uh, even, a- even after something is announced, how effective it is. Yeah, Senator Grassley will be on with us on Monday. We'll talk more about that uh, mm-hmm. particular issue. Um, meanwhile, what's the reaction around Washington, D.C., to the Seemingly surprise announcement by Scott Gottlieb that he is uh, stepping down as FDA commissioner. Uh, quite a bit because you know they still have uh, a, a lot, uh, a number of food safety issues, uh, nutrition issues that they're working through that he started. Uh, Gottlieb was a very interesting figure. A lot of uh, a lot of us talked about it. Uh, FDA was in many ways carried on. The regulatory agenda may even expanded in some ways. I'm talking on the food side. Uh, that the Obama administration started. There was not a big shift uh, in terms of the regulatory approach, and in fact, they have been uh, pretty tough in the food safety area. And uh, a lot of listeners may not realize that FDA actually regulates 80% of the food supply, just pretty much everything except for meat and poultry, and um, they had been uh, been pretty aggressive um, and in dealing with a number of a number of issues. Now it's important to point out that uh, they have a new deputy commissioner of foods, and that's the that's the position that really oversees the uh, oversees the food side of FDA, and that's Frankie Giannis, uh, came over from uh, Walmart, uh, food safety uh, expert and executive uh, at Walmart. He's been in place since uh, really last last fall so in that sense uh, that will that will carry on well usda and fda have uh, finalized their um, agreement to share regulatory jurisdiction over cell-based food products but they still have to uh, get some things worked out as far as implementation so uh, that's before those products could be sold but it uh, looks like they're still moving in that direction meanwhile before we let you go Phil what's going on in Congress when it comes to immigration issues ag worker issues anything happening there uh, very interesting there's a couple of developments on really on both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue I, I uh, wrote about this past week I, how much it's very preliminary what comes out of this still a long long way to go but the uh, the uh, chairwoman of the House Judiciary Subcommittee that's, that's responsible for immigration policy, Zoe Lufkin from California, she's had some preliminary discussions with farm groups um, about wanting to do a standalone ag labor bill that would uh, address guest worker issues, reform H-2A program, uh, presumably expand it, uh, also uh provide a, staff, a path to legal status for workers who are now in the country illegally and also provide possibly a mandatory for mandatory e-verify. 
Uh, she's, uh, I'm, we're told, looking at the spring to kind of start to uh, have a hearing and kind of start working on it. There are a couple of other priorities that they have to deal with on the Democratic side to deal with first on immigration. And then at the White House, uh, uh, Jerry Kushner, the uh, president's uh, son-in-law, has also been leading some preliminary discussions on, um, mm-hmm. on immigration that also would include an ag labor component. So we'll be watching so that. Very Bill, preliminary. Yeah, long ways to go. Phil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the update. Okay, great to be here. Thanks. Take care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Coming up next, big issue in Ohio around Lake Erie and uh, has some farmers very concerned there. We'll talk with Joe Corneli with the Ohio Farm Bureau next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We've been watching this uh, situation around Lake Erie and want to bring you up to date on it. Uh, Voters in Toledo, Ohio, passed what is being called a Lake Erie Bill of Rights. If allowed to stand, that law could expose a lot of farmers in that region, not just in Ohio, but in that region, uh, could expose them to lawsuits and challenge their use of fertilizers. Already, one Ohio farmer has filed a lawsuit alleging the measure violates his constitutional rights. Let's get an update on this. We are joined now by Joe Corneli, Senior Director of Corporate Communications for the Ohio Farm Bureau. Joe, thanks for joining us. I guess this stems back a few years, right, as you've told us before uh, about the situation all the way back, what, in 2014 and the uh, algae bloom situation in Lake Erie? Yeah, Mike, you'll appreciate it. I was on the sixth tee at Thornapple when I got the phone call <laughs> on August 2nd. And, uh, yeah, um, the, uh, a toxic algal bloom uh, got sucked into the Toledo water supply from their Lake Erie intake. It led the mayor to tell close to half a million people, don't drink the water. And since then, uh, a number of local activist organizations have been finding ways to lay all of the blame on farmers and forced changes in farming practices. They were unable to do so through public opinion. They weren't able to do so through the legislative process. And so the next step was to pass this measure uh, on the Toledo Charter government that uh, gives Lake Erie personhood and allows any Toledo citizen to sue uh, any business, government, uh, or, of course, farmer, uh, who they feel might be harming Lake Erie. Well, obviously, uh, water quality issues are very important, and when it impacts people's drinking water, that's that's obviously a a, a critical issue. But does this does this uh, new law that's passed and does it single out farmers as the as the lone culprit or the main culprit, or how does it work? Well, the ballot language that passed uh, talks about any business or government 
uh, that harms the lake. And, of course, farms fall within that category of business. Uh, we have not uh, – they, they were careful to say, well, we're not singling out family farmers, and we can get into a whole debate over what that is. But, um, you know, they've, they've been hanging the blame 100% on farmers, uh, unable to get any change. I can't imagine that they have a larger target than, than the agricultural community. So this actually would encompass not only uh, those in Ohio, but parts of Michigan, Indiana, Pennsylvania, New York, and Canada, right? Absolutely. And did you say Michigan in there as well? So yeah. A bunch mm-hmm. of states. Uh, I, I know the Ohio data, and that's one of the things that's, that's most frustrating about this with its passage. Supposedly, a citizen in Toledo now has the ability to sue uh, 35 counties of Ohio, which includes about 5 million people, 420,000 businesses, uh, countless local governments. So uh, it, 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 it's a scary situation, Mike. We're talking with Joe Corneli with the Ohio Farm Bureau. Joe, what can you tell us about the Ohio farmer who's filed a lawsuit that alleges that the measure violates his constitutional rights? I can tell you he is a brave man. Uh, Mark Dravis Farms up in the uh, western Lake Erie watershed has filed suit uh, claiming that this uh, infringes upon his constitutional rights. Um, He is uh, a well-respected farmer. Uh, He has a reputation for doing everything right. Uh, The kinds of practices that are designed to... uh, reduce nutrient loss from his farm fields. And so uh, while he has sued, uh, and it's an individual lawsuit, uh, by extension he is uh, suing on behalf of, uh, of farmers across Ohio and, and literally across America. Yeah, we've seen uh, other cases similar to this. Uh, it takes uh, someone very brave and willing to stand up and do that and make a, quite a commitment because it's, it's going to be a challenge for him. Well, uh, you know, we even before the vote, the proponents of this Lake Erie Bill of Rights admitted several times that it was very uh, questionable whether or not uh, this measure would stand up in court. And so when you when you know that it well you don't know, but there's a pretty good feeling that this will be found to be unconstitutional eventually. But as any farmer can tell you, eventually takes a lot of time and money. And so that's, uh, that's the big concern there is uh, even though the thing has not uh, had a court case yet, uh, farmers have to be preparing themselves for the possibility that uh, people are looking over their shoulder and can sue them. What is the situation, Joe, with the algae bloom uh, um conditions in Lake Erie have there been more problems since uh, that that uh, first uh, that situation back in 2014 I can uh, pretty much tell you Mike go back and look at rainfall records and it will tell you exactly what happens with that algal bloom up there uh, when we have a wet spring and early summer and uh, a lot of water leaves our fields then we do see an increase in the algal bloom. If we have a drier uh, planting season and into the early growing season, then the size of the bloom is reduced. And that just points to one of the difficulties that we're researching here in Ohio. 
Uh, our Farm Bureau members have spent millions of their dollars in, in doing the research. How do you weatherproof farming? Uh, we've got data that shows a farmer can do everything right, and then all of a sudden a two-inch rainfall in a four-hour period uh, takes away all of the precautions that he or she took. So it's a big challenge uh, trying to figure out uh, what can we do farming practice-wise, what can we do in in mitigating uh, water runoff, lots of research to be done. And of course, you know, if, if I'm someone that was told don't drink the water, I, I get it. I want the problem fixed now, but there are no flip-the-switch solutions. Well, as you said, this will take time and money uh, to, for this to play out, but a farmer looking to plant here before long doesn't have uh, all that much time. So does this is this law in effect now? Does it affect farming this spring? Well, it's unclear. Um, by the way the ballot measure was worded, it uh, it goes into effect immediately. Uh, and if there, uh, if Mr. Dravis's lawsuit uh, uh, moves forward, uh, the court can't determine um, a, a, a law to be unconstitutional until it's actually implemented. And so, uh, it it. I, as you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a lowly communicator, Mike. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, my understanding is the law is in effect, but whether or not it has actually been applied or will be applied is still up in the air. I don't think farmers are going to be making any uh, planting decisions for 2019 based on this lawsuit, but they're keeping an eye on, on what it means uh, in the long term. An even bigger picture, Joe, this should be a story that uh, farmers all around the country should watch closely because it could set a precedent, could impact them in their area someday. Absolutely, and, and I would say even more than just farmers. Um, for example, this, this particular measure makes it possible for a citizen to sue a municipality. So the city of Toledo has federal permits for combined sewage overflow. So... This spring, when it rains extra hard and some of their sewage accidentally gets mixed in with their stormwater runoff, it goes into the lake. Uh, A citizen could sue the city of Toledo, which, of course, would put Toledo taxpayers in the position of suing themselves. So if I'm a a, a local government, if I'm an employer uh, trying to decide whether or not to stick money back to fight off a lawsuit or give my employees a, 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 a little bit of bump in their pay. Uh, it's got implications, of course, for farmers, but for literally all business and government. Well, it's certainly a story to watch. Uh, right now, certainly those in uh, those northern Ohio counties, plus parts of Indiana, Pennsylvania, New York, Canada. And I did say Michigan, but as a good Buckeye fan, you did not hear me say Michigan, right, Joe? The, the M word. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Joe. Uh, thanks for the update. We'll be watching this, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch with you for updates on it. Thank you very much. As always, we appreciate your interest, Mike. Take care. You too. Joe Corneli, Senior Director of Corporate Communications for the Ohio Farm Bureau. That's a big story for that particular area around Lake Erie, but could set a precedent for other parts of the country. Need to keep a close watch on that. In fact, we'll talk more about that and some other clean water issues with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. 
Powerful. Effective. Proven. Tough. Consistent. Reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. We were just talking with Joe Corneli with the Ohio Farm Bureau about that situation around Lake Erie and the uh, uh, the ballot uh, initiative, initiative that was passed, uh, the so-called uh, Lake Erie Bill of Rights and how it could impact farmers uh, not only in Ohio but several other states around Lake Erie and Canada. Uh, big issue for that area, obviously, but as we mentioned, it could set a precedent for other parts of the country. Let's talk about that and other clean water issues now with Don Parrish, Senior Director of Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, thanks for joining us. Uh, that is a big issue there around Lake Erie. Uh, how do you view that and what implications that could have for other parts of the country? Thanks for inviting me on today, Mike. Uh, this is a huge step in the wrong direction for a nation that normally uses laws to uh, govern what we do. You know, we elect members to Congress. We elect members to the state houses that they debate uh, legislation and then ultimately put in place regulation that govern how we behave. And we've got a lot of environmental laws out there. We've got the Endangered Species Act. We've got the Safe Drinking Water Act. We've got the you know, the Clean Water Act, all of those govern how we protect our environment. This is completely out of left field, and it is asking the courts and a judge to step in and be basically overrule everything we do in this country is with, with our elected officials. So, you know, not only is it dangerous as to how it could impact individual farmers and ranchers, but I believe it has a, huge, a bigger impact on the way we govern ourselves in this country. So it could happen really anywhere. I mean, if uh, if if uh, people around a particular water uh, shed or a lake or whatever just wanted to uh, to pass something like that, it could be a similar situation. It could really turn on its head the, the system we have in place for our government, and in not only in terms of could it have dire implications for the way that we produce food, fiber, and, and fuel in this country. You know, we have one of the most productive systems in the world. We are the envy of the world when it comes to affordability of food. This could really stand that on its head. Yep, really a story to watch. Don, I wanted to ask you, uh, we had uh, a while back a, a story, uh, an attorney uh, that was very critical of the uh, new USDA wetlands uh, rule and saying that uh, that gives them a lot more uh, the government more power and control, and that it's it would be harmful to to agriculture, to farmers and ranchers. Uh, what is your take on the the wetlands uh, rule and what its impact will be? Well, we've looked at that rule very closely, and we we have some very specific recommendations for USDA. And more than anything else, let me let me kind of put them into a couple of boxes. Uh, the first box is that USDA really deserves uh, to open up a process that is very transparent and that is very open for the public to participate in. 
and, and really give farmers the due process that they've long lacked in this area. One of the things that I find most problematic about that wetlands issue is when I've had farmers call me up with legitimate issues, legitimate differences of opinion with USDA over some of their calls in the Swamp Buster area, my only advice to them, based on the way they are implementing that program, is to settle. Even though they have a really good case, you can't fight USDA and win, and that's an unfair situation. USDA needs very clear rules to, to operate this program by and not just do it on the whim of, of the person that they're, they're, they're appealing to. That's wrong, and due process is something that all of us deserve. We deserve, you know, it protects the agency, and it protects farmers and ranchers. That doesn't exist in the swamp buster space, and we surely want this administration to fix that. Is this a case of unintended consequences, something that can they can fix? Uh, I think it is a case of unintended consequences because anything surrounding wetlands, and particularly the swamp buster issue, is extremely controversial. And and one of the things that I'll, I'll remind your your re, your listeners of is that that swamp buster and sod buster are compliance programs. They're programs that not only allow USDA to take away farm program benefits, but now they, it allows them to, to withhold the ability for farmers and ranchers to get crop insurance. That, in and of itself, may determine whether a farm can remain viable. Therefore, anything we do in those areas should have protections. Protections as to how the agency is going to implement that rule. Clear rules mean easy to understand application and implementation. And right now they don't have that. And and these programs are different. They're not they're not incentive programs. These are regulatory programs and USDA has got to treat them like that. So where does it stand? Well, there are supposedly they are considering our comments and hopefully they will understand what some of our concerns are. Some of our concerns really go back to a fundamental disagreement over what Congress said when they passed the Farm Bill and whether or not they are abiding by what Congress put in black and white over everything from definitions over things like farm wetlands and prior converted croplands to things like what is a certified determination as well as how to apply the exemptions that Congress intended for USDA to allow farmers to take advantage of to avoid ineligibility. If those aren't written down and if those aren't given and offered to farmers, there's a problem, and I'm telling you there's a problem right now. We're talking with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Don, bring us up to date on the proposed new Waters of the U.S. rule. Well, it's pretty interesting. Uh, we're working away. We've got our heads down. We've looked at the proposal. You know what? Do we see some areas where we want to see the EPA improve this proposal? Yes. But is it light years ahead of what the Obama administration did in 2015? Absolutely. Uh, I would say in the area of drawing a line, making a distinction between what is federal and what is state, they've done a pretty darn good job of that. Now, when you're talking about now drawing a distinction between some of the more esoteric definitions they're going to have in there, like what is an intermittent stream or what is an ephemeral stream, we think they're going to have to do more. 
they need to do more because they need to be able, our members need to be able to walk out on their farm and truly understand where the federal government is going to regulate. Farmers, unless they're aquaculturists, don't farm in water. We farm on land, and we need to make sure that whatever definition they put in place, finally, with regards to the definition of tributary, it is clear enough that our members aren't arguing about the distinction between an erosion feature and a stream. We think they come very, very close. We want to make sure that they do that extremely clear and get us over the top. And we're looking forward to uh, to supporting this rule. We are going to support it. And but you know, again, we want to see some tweaks in it as well. Okay, so take us through this process. Where are we at, and what's what are the steps ahead? Well, we're about halfway through the the comment period. And the comment period is critically important for, far, for farmers and ranchers. We need to be telling EPA we support this rule. We need to be telling them why it's important to us, why it could have an impact on, on farmers and ranchers. You know, Farm Bureau has made it easy. Go to fb.org. It's right up at the top of our page. It says, take a stand for clean water and clear rules. That is critically important. We will walk you through the process to be able to, to submit comments, because people that want to meddle in the way you farm are going to comment on this rule. We need people, farmers and ranchers, who care about being able to, that care about the environment, that care about clean water but want clean rules, they need to take a stand as well. Go to our website, make those comments. We'll be more than happy to help you and walk you through that process. It's easy, but again, this is one of those things where we're fighting over property rights. We're fighting over the line on the on the landscape where EPA is going to regulate. We've got a lot in common right now, and we've got a lot of momentum going in our direction. We need farmers to finish strong, strong in this process, and we need you to, to comment on this rule. And after the public comment period, then what? Well, after the comment period, then EPA has got to evaluate all of these comments. And believe me, the Farm Bureau and a lot of our uh, commodity organization friends here in town, we're going through this thing with a fine-tooth comb. We're putting together extensive technical comments that the agency will have to consider when they finalize the rule. And, you know, and likewise, so are some of the other people that want a, more, that want a broader rule. They're doing the same thing. So all of this is going to take place. The agency is going to have to evaluate it and then make a decision make a decision that we hope is protective of clean water but provide clear rules and get them out of the middle of farm fields. So we hope that over the next 6 to 12 months, uh, the agency is going to finalize a regulation that, that draws a bright line. We also hope over the next 6 to 12 months the agency finalizes the rule to withdraw the Obama-era rule, and they've got to do that. We're continuing to put pressure on them to do that, and hopefully in the next six months or so we're going to see that them finalize that regulation as well. Still got a ways to go and probably some uh, legal challenges as well. Absolutely. You know, we are hopeful that the court cases that are out there right now that have been heard, one in, in North Dakota, one in South Georgia, and one in South Texas, you know, we're very hopeful that they're going to, you know, they've already preliminarily ruled that there were problems with the Obama rule. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they come forward with a, with a ruling that says that this thing was not statutorily authorized, that it probably had some constitutional issues associated with it, and, and that just paves the way for seeing that rule go away as quickly as possible. 
All right, Don, thanks for the update. Don Parrish, Senior Director of Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Thanks, Don. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. All right, stay with us. More coming up here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Credence soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Credence Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credence retailer about the new Credence Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, this week the National Farmers Union Convention was held, and joining us now is Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. Roger, good to talk with you again. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you. Um, Looking at some of the headlines out of your convention, uh, one of them had to do with curbing production, curbing ag production. Uh, What did your delegates decide there? Well, they, I think the overall uh, special order of business that got the most support and the most discussion was the one dealing with the economic crisis in agriculture. Net farm income is down about 50% from what it was five years ago. Uh, the uh, Not only are we faced with really burdensome stocks, but those stocks uh, positions are being exacerbated by the trade actions of the administration. And so our our members really asked for two things in that special order. One was that there needs to be an increase in the safety net, probably through uh, increased values in PLC in particular, uh, and that there should be voluntary incentive-based uh, a supply reduction program associated with that. So if, if farmers chose to reduce their plantings, uh, they could have a, a slightly higher uh, reference price, as an example. So that's really what, what I think the delegates had in mind. They, uh, you know, we had, we had these kinds of tools in the toolbox for farming uh, for generations. And it's just these last 20 plus years where they've been taken away, and and you know we kind of see the economic results, and they're not real good. So this sounds like what we used to call set aside programs. Is that what you're in favor of? Well, it's some version of that. Yes, uh, they'd be voluntary. They would not be specific to any particular crop. So you could just do it off a total crop base or something like that. We The delegates didn't get uh, specific in terms of the type, um, but there was discussion about different uh, different methodologies to do it. We're talking with Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. Roger, uh, how much uh, debate did climate change get, and uh, what did your delegates have to say about that issue? Well, actually, it got quite a bit of debate. Uh, Farmers Union has long been uh, an organization that recognizes the science behind climate change. We, uh, oh, more than a decade ago, 
uh, were instrumental in standing up a carbon credit aggregation program. Uh, actually, sold millions of of, uh, of dollars worth of uh, carbon credits on the Chicago Climate Exchange. We signed up uh, lots of acres in a bunch of different states. Uh, so we've we've tried to be proactive on this issue uh, in recognizing the science and arguing that there is a way for for agriculture to be the good guy in this debate instead of being viewed as the bad guy in this debate. Uh, and lots of things that we can do if we have the right incentives will be very helpful. Uh, to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So we, we passed a special order on climate change. Uh, the folks have probably read about uh, sort of the Green New Deal that was discussed at, at length at convention, and the delegates opted to take out references uh, to that in that special order as well uh, because it I think the view, listening to the discussion on the floor, the view was that it seems to be focused more on rural America and tends even to sort of point a finger uh, at rural America. It tends to be focused on urban America and tends to point a finger at at agriculture and rural America. And, and we, you know, we want to be at the table and talk about the right kinds of policies that are incentive-based for farmers uh, to play a real role in, in solving this uh, existential issue. And finally, what did your uh, delegates uh, say about uh, the trade issues going on right now? Well, quite a bit. You know, there is, uh, there is certainly a recognition that the president is right to try to hold China to account. Uh, but I think there is a very... Uh, there's a very strong sort of revulsion to the way the tactics that have been used that have been offensive to many of our trading partners. Um, I mean, you can go down the list from Mexico to Canada to the EU to, I mean, you just go around the world. And I think there is a view that many of these trading partners also look at the practices that China has been following and saying they need to be held to account. But the approach that this this president seems to be taking is to offend, to offend those folks that need to be working with us. And so we have sort of this go-it-alone strategy that, uh, that that folks are really nervous about and, and not happy with. Uh, so that's... Uh, I think that's, I mean, we recognize certainly the value and importance of trade, uh, but we want to be a little, uh, we'd, we'd like for our president to be a little more accommodating of other countries and a little more respectful of other countries um, as we try to, you know, listen, we've built for generations, we've spent lots and lots and lots of money developing these markets. And they can be destroyed quickly, and many of them have been because of actions uh, from this administration. Roger, thanks for the recap of your convention. Uh, always good to talk with you and appreciate your time. Take care. Good to be with you, Mike. Take care. All Bye. right. Thank you, Roger. Roger Johnson, president 
of the National Farmers Union. Again, their convention was held uh, this past week. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coming up on Monday, a Washington update from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Also more on this, uh, uh, how the news that's come out about how EPA has handled these small refinery exemptions to the RFS. We'll get into that more as well. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, set those clocks forward one hour, spring forward. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. AOA.